What is up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to Just Talking with Steph Iliff. I am so excited for this podcast and to be bringing it to you every single week to be just talking about all the things that life has to offer us, right? I'm hoping that I can bring you some insights, some laughter, some amazing interviews with some awesome powerhouses who have let go of fear, who have totally stepped into themselves, who are living their best life so you can learn from them. I want to be talking to you every single week as well about different things that are going on in my life as a self-love coach, as a mom, as a woman, as someone who is dating and like the whole dating scene and how it's so important that we date with self-love so we don't ruin our own self-love, how to create, you know, amazing habits that truly stick with you for a lifetime so you become your best self, so you can become your inner powerhouse and how to just let go of fear and fully step into you. So every week I'm going to be bringing you different topics that align with that, different interviews with different amazing people. And we're just going to be talking about it and having the best time. So thank you so much for joining in to Just Talking with Steph Island. What is up, you guys? I'm so excited to have you guys enjoy us day for Just Talking. Today, I have with me Brilliant Miller. He is literally so brilliant, so amazing. You guys are just going to be, this is like a gem. Like You guys are going to be able to hear so many amazing things happen for you right now. So make sure you are listening, you are hearing what you need to hear right now, because this man has totally helped me change my life. He's a speaker, he's an author, he's a trainer, and he's a certified coach. And I've gone through his coaching programs. I've been coached through him. I've been on all his calls. I've been, I've been able to experience him and his wisdom. I've gone to his meditation mornings and his mindfulness mornings. Like everything that he does is just super powerful and he's very in tune with who he is. And I'm so excited for you guys to have that ever today. So brilliant. Welcome. Thank you, Steph. It's so good to be here. Yes. Well, I'm really excited. I want to talk to our audience today a little bit. You just recently changed your name from Brian Miller to Brilliant Miller. So some of you that are local in Utah, you may know Brian or Brilliant as Brian Miller um, with the Miller family. But let's talk about how you decided to change your name from Brian to Brilliant and what that all entails. <laughs> okay. And I'm still figuring out that myself, but yeah, I'd love, I'd be happy to talk about this. You know, I realize as a coach, someone, as someone who helps people make changes in their own lives that we all want to make changes. We all want to grow. We all want to become more, to give more. And, you know, there's just so many, so many things in a name, right? And I'm experiencing firsthand the challenge of making a change, whether it's, you know, exiting a relationship or, entering a new one or just making one that exists work or, you know, starting a business or raising a healthy family. You know, we all, no matter what we have, there's more that's possible for us and, and we want it or we numb out. Right. And so the name change is one where I really recognize that every one of us is so much more than anything we could call ourselves, including our name. Mm. And I realize as well that every one of us is born into a set of circumstances, into a family, into a place, into a time. And in some ways, those define us. But in a lot of times, like a lot of ways, they don't have to. And I'm really, really curious about and I'm endeavoring to be more intentional about living a life of my own choosing. Right. So it's in a way it's practice what you preach. And, and, and that's it. And there's, you know, there's a bit more, there's a bit more to it. But one of the interesting things to me as I look at the name brilliant is that Brian is in brilliant yeah. right, already. If it's now I spelled mine with a Y instead of with an I, but if you spell Brian with an I, you just add a few more letters and you stretch it out and the name is already in there. I love that. So in a way it really does represent, you know, becoming more, but also acknowledging, you know, we're every one of us is so much more than anything we could call ourselves. 
I love that. Well, I love how you said that we're born into certain seasons or like eras. And then we do like associate so much along with our name or like with our family. And I'm sure for you, that's probably been some part of you and like becoming you is disassociating with like the family name and really becoming you and finding your own individuality with that. Is that, is that part of this process? Yeah, I I wouldn't say separating, but I do think of individuating, you know, and as Maslow talked about self-actualizing, perhaps it's that. But I think where every one of us is on the same journey from, you know, birth to death and ignorance to wisdom, hopefully, <laughs> you know, that along the way, we do learn more about who we are and who we're not. And so in a way, very much, yeah, I think this, again, the name change is just a part of a process that is inevitable. You know, we can slow it, we can resist it. But every one of us, it's like time and life carry us along. Someone once presented to me the analogy of being on a moving train, that that's how life is, it's carrying us forward. And we can run the way the train isn't moving, but ultimately, it's carrying us forward. So the question is, are we participating in our own growth and development? Or are we somehow resisting it? And I, I do think, uh, for me, I hope at least it's a part of participating in that process. I love that. So what happened for you internally when you changed your name? Was there like a shift within you? Or did that happen before? Talk to me a little bit about what helped you make that deciding factor for yourself. Yeah, I, I do a lot of training and development myself, I know you and I are both, you know, fellow learning nerds is how I, I like to refer to it. And, and so that's been a big part of my life is is just going to different programs and seminars and workshops and learning all that I can both for myself, but also what I can then turn around and share with other people. And a few years ago, I was in Chicago, and I was learning uh, to be a facilitator for this certain program, um, you know, called Awakening the Dreamer. And it's all about helping people change the dream of the modern world from one of accumulation and consumption to one of to a world that's spiritually fulfilling, socially just and environmentally sustainable. So it's a big it's a big dream. It's run by the Pashmama Alliance. But I was there. It was a pretty small group it was maybe 20 people. And I don't know what it was about that weekend. But I was in this place, maybe it was that I was fairly far from home. And I was meeting people I hadn't met before. And I was endeavoring to create change in the world you know, which I think necessarily entails change within ourselves. And I just had the thought, what if I, what if I introduce myself to people as Brian Banana? Like, it's just so ridiculous, right? Like nobody could take me seriously, you know, and, and, and I would say it with a straight face. And I think people would, they'd just wait, like, is he joking? You know, and I thought that would just be a great icebreaker. It would be a good way to develop rapport with somebody. It'd be a good way to be memorable, perhaps. And I just kind of set it aside. It was one of those thoughts that floated by, but it had some weight to it. And I thought, wow. Nevertheless, I didn't act on that. A few more months go by. Later, I'm in a, I'm, in, I was at an event in New York City, and I was again maybe similar circumstances, away from home, meeting new people, learning and growing. And for some reason, in the car ride to the airport home, on my way home, I thought, I'm going to change my name. Like, I don't know when, I don't even know what yet, because it won't be Brian Banana, but I knew. And it was like that experience, if you ever climb up on the high dive, and you've climbed up there, you know, you're going to jump, but you don't want to. Yeah. And I was like, I know for myself, I know this is something I've got to do, or I'm going to do. And it kind of scared me. But again, I thought I'm not going to do it right away. So then I just filed it away. Well, months went by and I was at another event in New Mexico. I was at, I was endeavoring to learn more from indigenous traditions and from nature itself. So I'm at a ceremony 
led by a Peruvian healer. It's not a plant ceremony, but it nevertheless, you know, it follows some ancient traditions. And, and we go in this sweat lodge. And if, if you've ever done one, you know that it, there's a lot of symbolism in it, including rebirth, you know, that the sweat lodge itself, you go into a dark place, it's warm, there's chanting and prayers, and you go in with an intention. And I didn't have an intention to change my name. Again, it was just one of those thoughts that was in the stew of my of my thinking. But for some reason, as the the ceremony leader, he asked, you know, he'd asked a number of questions during the ceremony, but he asked, what, what is wanting? I remember that phrasing, because it wasn't what wants, it was what is wanting to be born? And what is wanting to die? And for some reason, in that moment, I thought, I am leaving this sweat lodge as a new person. I mean, literally, we're always changing. So yeah. even if I didn't intend to, I still would have crawled out of that sweat lodge as a different person. But I said, I'm leaving with a new name. And I knew that that might be strange in that moment to introduce myself. Again, many of these people were people I didn't know before. And I had already met them over the previous couple of days as Brian. And I thought, they're gonna think I'm weird or, you know. <laughs> and I'll always remember because it was under the full moon. It was on a Father's Day in June you know, out in the high desert of New Mexico, it was beautiful. And the sacred fire was just outside the, the door. And my back was to the to that easternmost point. So I could look right out and see all this. And, and I just knew so I, I made the decision I crawled out had a new name. And you asked if anything was different. It, it was because for a lot of years, I actually didn't start smoking until I was in my 20s. You know, I know a lot of people start when they're kids and this. Yeah. And I had actually started in my 20s. And it was it was just a part of a number of really unhealthy habits that I had picked up. And I loved smoking for so many reasons. You can make friends with other smokers so easily. And it's something to do. And it breaks up monotony like all this. But I knew it wasn't good for me. And part of the challenge of learning indigenous traditions is that tobacco is often used in these ceremonies in a very different way, granted. And it's not, you know, the process stuff like this. But what was interesting to me is when I came out of that sweat lodge and when I declared myself to be a new person, my desire to smoke went away. Like it was gone. Yeah. And it's been more than a year. And I didn't smoke that much in recent years anyway, like almost not at all. But it was like the desire that maybe I will, it, like that debate is gone. It's totally gone. And, you know, I, Maybe it will come back. I don't think so. But it's part of my commitment, again, to being the best version of myself, to being the healthiest person I can be, to encouraging and supporting others, to living their best selves, you know, their best lives. So that's definitely one thing that, that changed immediately. It was really remarkable to me how that was like a light switch. I love yeah. that. Well, I think that's so true because it's like, I love how you said, like you set the intention and then you stepped into that fully. And then like you claimed that you're like, yeah, this is who I am. I'm stepping away from the fear of that. And I'm just going to be brilliant and I'm going to choose this. And it's as if I love how in the sweat lodge, your shaman saying like, what, what needs to be born? What needs to, what do you need a birth? And then yeah. what needs to die? And it's like your old self was dying of like the, these unhealthy habits that no longer served you. And you knew in order for you to really fully step into that was to claim a new version of you. And yeah. then that. And I think that's so powerful because it's just our brain then processes like a whole new wavelength of that. And it like yeah. almost re releases and like unreveals like a veil of who you really can be in that. When you yeah. were able to do that, did you see like more for you that you could create? Or did you see like anything more for you that you hadn't seen before? You know, if I'm honest, what I saw and what I see still is the potential to truly be another person. Right. And, and I think that we often forget our power to change our entire lives with a single decision. Right. And as silly as the examples might be, if you think about it, 
you could make the decision to never speak English again. Right now, you'd say, it will not happen, right? I'm going to go learn French or something else, you know, Chinese. You could say, I will only write with my left hand or your, you know, your non-dominant hand, which I also taught myself when I was 20, right? So I know it's challenging, but we can make these decisions. You could say something like, as you know, right? I'm going to leave this career that I've invested years in. It provides a comfortable income that or a relationship. And, and that it's in, as, as Tony Robbins tells us, that it's in our moments of decision that our destiny is made. And we forget that I can change something like my name, the language I speak, the hand I write with, the food I eat, the person that I'm in relationship with. And then often what's maybe worse is that we then complain about it or we feel down about I'm not happy or I'm not fulfilled when it's like, well, hey, change your life, right? And I know it can be simple. It can sound simple to say it that way. But I think when we really get present to the power we have that we often are not present to, that's when our life can shift. So then to go back to your question about what what changed is this, this sense of possibility going, this name is associated or can be associated with a persona, with an identity. That is different from the the habitual, comfortable, familiar version of myself that lived life half asleep yes. for decades. Yeah. Right. And so now, although it, again I'm being conditioned to live a certain way and it is comfortable and familiar, I'm reminded or I remind myself that something something more, something different is available to me all the time. I love that. And we really always are one decision away, but it's the fear that stops us from being able to fully step into that and choose what that decision is. So you even mentioned that there was this fear, like, what are people going to think if I stop off and now I'm like, Hey, I'm brilliant. What helped you to break that fear apart and be like, no, like, this is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm (laughs) born to make happen. Well, I think it's, it's so often the case when we make change is pain, right? We can change if we decide and we can change if we're inspired, yep. but we often change when life becomes unbearable, yep. right? Now, my life is pretty good. I'll acknowledge, especially by comparison. And to be honest, sometimes I feel guilty about how good my life is, but it was like, look, there That's are aspects. Really, feel guilty still, or is that a no solution? brilliant? It doesn't feel guilty, but I sometimes, and I'm I'm pretty much over this now. But for a long time, I was asking myself, like when I would introduce myself as brilliant, I would hear the you know the inner critic in my head would say, "What kind of asshole names himself brilliant or calls himself <laughs> brilliant?" Right? But then it's like, look, it's I love what Wayne Dyer said. What you think of me is none of my business. <laughs> Right. And then we and then we know that Marianne Williamson quote, which I don't have memorized, but about our fear is not that we are inadequate. Right. It's like our fear is of our own greatness and about the light shadow where we've you know, we've done enough work to learn about shadow work. You know, all the stuff we repress, we ignore, we deny, we hope isn't true. But a few years ago, I learned about something called the light shadow which is what's all the goodness, what's all the gifts, what's all the talents that we don't allow ourselves to fully express because it, we, you know, the tall poppy syndrome, or maybe it won't actually measure up to somebody else. Or for whatever reason, we have not only the dark shadow, but we also have a light shadow. So I'm interested in that as well. And it's like, look, as far as we know, we really do only get this one life. I mean, maybe someone knows something more, but we can say for sure we have this one precious life and why wouldn't we make the most of it? I love that. So just breaking that down helped you to step out of that fear and be like, this is the one life I have. So 
here I am and I'm going to crown myself brilliant, give myself permission. And I love that because the brilliant is like the light in you. It's helping you step into the light of you rather than the darkness of you and let go of that. And I think we, the more that we awaken and the more that we become, you do have to reclaim yourself. Like, and I use like anchoring for that. I've never actually changed my name, but that could be like a whole new thing. Well, I guess I used to go by Stephanie and I really only go by Steph. And like, that's something like different with that. But I think it's powerful because it's almost, it's like your own permission slip to be this person that you want to be now. And that could change for you in 10 years. Like you could evolve even more than that and decide, okay, brilliant no longer serves me. So what, how do you help people break through that of what serves them now? Like it's so true for you right now and it could change. Like obviously this was a change for you. How do you, how do you process that? And how do you teach that to people? Yeah. Well, I will share a bit about that before I do. I just want to touch on what you said about permission, right? Because that's so powerful that often, you know, the thing that's preventing us from living the life we want is the fact that we yet haven't allowed ourselves to do that. And I think that's totally normal because of all the unknowns and the potential consequences and things like that. Um, But to me, and I don't, yeah, I'm already feeling a little self-conscious about going on so long about the name thing, but about permission on Memorial Day. Now I had, I, I didn't know that when one changes one's name legally, which I did, is required to go before a judge and to sign, right? So that you're not, you're saying, look, I'm not trying to avoid creditors, or I'm not a registered sex offender, this kind of thing. So you actually have to petition the court and go before a judge and have it approved. Well, I initiated that process, even though I made the decision to change my name back in June, I finally got around to initiating it like in January or February. Okay. Well, then COVID hit. So basically, the court shut down. So I was like, okay, it'll happen whenever it happens. I'm not in a rush. But whatever. So then Memorial Day comes around and I have a a tradition of going and visiting my dad's grave. My dad died 11 years ago. Basically, as I see it, worked himself to death, built an incredible fortune, you know, before he did with the help of a lot of smart, talented people, some good, good and probably help from above. A lot of things contributed. But I would go visit his grave on Memorial Day and, and talk to him or just sit there. And this year I took my journal. I took, I actually took this journal and I, and I, I had this sense that I was going to hang out a little while and I decided to write a letter to my dad. And I didn't know what I wanted to say in advance, but I wanted to pour my heart out. And one of the things I ended up writing in that, in the letter was that I give myself permission to be myself. I know that he wouldn't want anything other for me, but I recognized that, Hey, this was important that I do. So that was whatever Memorial day was like the 25th or 26th of May. Well, that was Monday. And on Sunday of all days, my, my attorney calls me and he's like, Hey, I got a message from the court that they're willing to do your hearing by WebEx tomorrow. So it was literally less than a week from the day I said, I give myself permission to be myself, including. And it was like, how amazing, right? The power of intention, the power of declaration. I love what you said, Steph, about will you say, write it and invite it. If you write Yep. Right. And invited. I learned that from you. Yeah. Right. And it was boom. There was another example of that. And, and so then back to your question. So permission, then I go, well, how do I, you know, invite or support or encourage others? One of my deep thoughts here, and I'm still working this out. I think every one of us lives with questions that we'll probably never answer to our satisfaction. Right. Sure. And one of them for me is, 
how can I best serve? Because I don't think there's, and we could have a long philosophical conversation on a road trip someday about this, but I have this belief that people don't need help. Now, I get there are people who could use food and people who, you know, could use medicine or maybe we even say need it or they'll die. I understand that. But fundamentally, I don't think people need to be saved. I don't think people need to be fixed. And I know that you're not saying that they do, but I think there's a lot of perspectives in this industry that's like, I'm a coach and I have the answers and I'm going to come in and give you the tools you need to make a great life. Yeah. Now, there's something to be said that for that because we can learn from every person we meet. Totally. Right. But I also think that if we are to serve people, if we're to help people, they're probably there probably is no greater way than by the example that we live, right? Like Gandhi said, my life is my message. Now, he's a pretty powerful teacher. Yes. But you go beyond anything Gandhi could have stood up in front of a crowd and said. It was the actions and the life that he lived that, right, speak so loudly. So I don't hold myself up as a paragon per se, because heaven knows I have done my share of things that I would not do today, <laughs> or even I would be embarrassed if you learned about, although I'm a pretty open person. But I tend to think, look, if I can share what I have, what I love and what I know with others, if if it's for them and they're interested and, you know, they enjoy it and benefit from it, great. If they want to come to a mindfulness morning or listen to a podcast or sign up for a program or read a book, that's awesome. But I'm not here to convert anybody or persuade anybody. So that's I, I kind of think I just go about doing me and I hope that that is of service to someone somewhere. Well, yeah, because I think we're really all just mirrors for each other. We're, we're just mirroring whatever's happening within us or whatever we're seeing happening outside of us. And so when you give yourself permission to really just be you and be authentic yeah. to that, whatever that may be in this moment, you really do grant that same permission to everybody else. And yeah. it's through your actions. It's through your experiences, the way you speak. It's, the, it's your mannerisms. It's everything about you. It's your energy because that's all that we really are. It's just like our energy and our soul and like what we're bringing into the world in that moment. And then that becomes what we mirror out, right? And then that's also what we mirror into receive. And so I love that you're saying that is that, at least that's my philosophy, is like when, we, when we're just giving ourselves permission, not only do, that, do you do that for yourself, but you really are doing that for everybody else around you. Because you're right. them just become them. And you're yep. helping them say like, go ahead, you can do this. Like you absolutely can crown yourself this. You can, you can knight yourself. You can say that you're worthy of whatever it is that you want to be worthy of. But it yep. really is just this, this permission slip. It's this grant. It's like, it's like after people graduate from college, like, okay, now all of a sudden now I can go for it. But you, you already had it all within you before that. You just exactly. decided that this was the permission slip. Or it's like, exactly. okay, this is what, after I, after I can name myself brilliant and this is what I can go do. But we really do kind of sometimes have to have these little moments for us that help us fully become that. And like, for me, it was like my courage, my, my permission slip was when I left with left my old job and that gave me my permission i'm like you can okay go like go be go be it go yeah. make it happen and yeah. I think we all have to do like have some sort of declaration because it's it's almost a recommitment to yourself of like yes we're not going back now we're burning the ship let's yep. go permission boom you know yeah. is, is that like the same kind of thing that you're saying i guess yeah absolutely and and to the point that you made about you know in a way giving other people permission i think about something that's talked about more now, because I don't think previously our society knew of it or 
or, or had much interest to talk about it is something called psychological safety, right? Which is leaders, one of, and this is one of those invisible, it's almost an invisible skill, or we might call a soft skill, is, is effective leaders. Now, I don't think there's any certain checklist or skill set that, that leaders follow. But if one wants to be an effective leader, one of the things they can do is to create psychological safety. And what does that mean? And it's like in a meeting, when you're able to show people it's okay to express a dissenting opinion, right? If you're able to demonstrate that you care about them as human beings by how, right? Like by asking how they are and learning about their families and their hobbies and things like this, that that is a way where the way we show up and it's the way we do the things we do. Now we could run a meeting and we could create psychological safety. We could create psychological unsafety. We could be ignorant to the whole thing, but that, that, absolutely will make a difference for the for, for the participants of that. And so it's in that same way that how we might run a meeting or how we might manage a team is, you know, how we live our lives. It's absolutely impacting on other people. We're social creatures, right? We're always taking cues from what are other people doing? And what are they not doing? What's what's approved and what's disapproved? What's rewarded and what's punished? And in a way, even when we don't have a, a, a positional authority, every one of us is being observed by other people. Yes. So true. And especially if you have children, I think it makes you even more heightened to that because like you see the best and worst in you within your kids. Like if you are impatient in certain situations or you freak out sometimes, or you're super loving and really outgoing and you invite people, whatever it may be, but you, your kids end up kind of mirroring that same thing for you. And so then you see all of that, whether it's the good or the bad, and it helps us to kind of be aware of those, that same emotional safety, like do I give that emotional safety to my children to be themselves or am I creating this boundary of what I want them to be? And I'm saying like, this is where, how I love you. This is like how I, I approve of you. And we don't even recognize sometimes that we're doing these things. And I, sometimes I get super uber aware of it and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm just messing up my kids. Like I just, I created this. Like, and that's, I'm like, you can do whatever you want. Like, and it's, so it's hard to bring it back in. I don't know. I guess that's a question I like to ask you. How do you do that with, as enlightened as you are and as aware as you are, how does that ever affect you like in your parenting style or in you as a husband and like your relationship style? Well, you know, I have this theory and again, it's, it probably doesn't serve me, but (laughs) I have this theory that, how do I say this? I actually, as I go to express it, I realize I, I don't want to use the words I, I often (laughs) use, but I will. Okay. I have this theory that we screw our kids up no matter what we do. Totally. I agree with that. Right. We can love them too much. We cannot love them enough. We can give them everything they want. We can deprive them. Right. It's <clears throat> we can set the bar too high. We can have no expectations. And, and so I don't think it's so much that we screw them up as parents is that the process of developing as a human being physically and emotionally follows a certain pattern. And we we have different lessons to learn at different stages of our lives. So to be honest, again, I don't I mean, I, I endeavor, I don't even like to say I try to be a good person or a decent person, but I do try to be someone who cares about others. You know, like, have you eaten? You know, are you rested? Like literally caring for people's physical well being, but also how are they feeling? Like with something that just happened. And, you know, I'll give you one minor example. Around January, I started reading Harry Potter to my daughters and I'd never read it before. So it's been, it turns out during the pandemic, it's been a great way for us to remain connected because they live with their mom from you know, my, my first wife. It turns out reading Harry Potter was a great choice because when the pandemic hit and they didn't come back and forth because they're quarantining, 
that we talk every day and we read like 10 pages. Well, we just read, and I don't mean to spoil this for anybody, but we just read a point where it appears that Dumbledore has died. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I myself don't know. But my eight-year-old is so sensitive that she was literally wailing through the phone. Like I could hear her, like Lola. I'm like, Lola, I think it's going to be okay. My dad might have said, and I, don't, I shouldn't speculate on how he'd respond, but he wasn't always the most caring in the moment at least, right? And he might have just, and a lot of parents will say, don't cry, or they will deny their kids their, their feelings. Yeah. So you don't, you know, you, should, you like this food, you should eat it, you know, stuff like this. And I endeavor both to care for people's physical well-being, but also their emotional and have some sensitivity to that, you know, and just, yeah, okay, she's eight years old. She's apparently she's sensitive. You know, this thing happened. It was scary or upsetting to her. Yeah. So that that's one way. I don't, again, I don't know that there's a, a magic bullet or a single thing that any one of us could ever do in every situation, but. No, I, yeah, I totally love that. And I think that also the way I see that is I see a gift in her already. She's already such an empath, right? She already can feel something so strongly by just hearing it, by reading a book. She can be so connected. She can really hear the words and she can yeah. tune into that. She can create yeah. that within her, right? That's a yeah. gift. That's a skill. That's totally. something that's powerful. And so if we shut that down, we don't, we're not helping her heighten that skill set. Just like if right. you have a kid who's like crazy awesome at basketball and you're like, okay, like let's, let's get this, let's hone in on this skill set as long as they enjoy it. Right. But it's like, I think that's what we can kind of see sometimes in our children or in people around you. And I think that's kind of the beauty of a coach is that you're also helping them see like this amazing gift that they might not see it yet. And that's yeah. like what part of my philosophy is that you're helping them remove some blind spots so they can actually see like what they already have within them. And then it's that same permission slip of like, this is such a gift. Like you are naturally so good at that. And so if yeah. Lola can just already create this and be so sad that he might be dead and she's just like so <laughs> devastated. Like, wow, what a beautiful gift that you can feel that, that you can feel yeah. the people in the room, that you can understand if someone feels insecure or sad or mad or whatever. And like, yeah. you are, you, you're going to be so relatable, Lola. Like you're going to help move people. Like that's yeah. such a great gift with that. You know, like, and that's like my philosophy on it is I think that we get to help heighten those certain things and help people see that. And I know like you've definitely helped me see different things in me that I wasn't aware of. And like, that's part of like, you're such a great coach with that by just getting really clear on the questions that you're asking and getting really mm -hmm. curious. And I love that. That's like just your philosophy. And that's yeah. one thing you really taught me. It was a huge takeaway is like, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't even have to have read all these books. You don't have to do all that. Like you just have to really listen, like just yeah. listen to whoever you're talking with and the right things will always come up for you. And I think that's so beautiful. Like, I don't know, that's just like one of the best gifts you've ever given me. So. Oh, well, thanks Steph. I'm, I'm really glad you got that too. Cause if there's one thing I'm clear about, I have no idea. It's that I have no idea. You know, I've learned a lot, no doubt, but I realize like if you think of knowledge as an expanding circle, that when your circle or your sphere of knowledge expands, you can think of it as a sphere also, that the surface area or the edge, the perimeter of that also expands. So what you know, yeah, what you know gets bigger, but so does the range of what you know you don't know. Exactly. The more you know, the less you know. What? Yeah, it is. It's exactly like that. And, and I think especially if we really are, I don't know, wise enough or humble enough to, to really get that there's an intelligence and in operation in this universe that's greater than us. And I don't even know that it's God. Maybe it is. But to say, look, how incredible is it that you and I both began from two cells and something was intelligent enough to become whatever it is we are and is becoming whatever it is we're becoming. And when we're present and we're not 
thinking so much, well, what's the answer? What's the clever thing I'm going to say or ask? And we're letting that intelligence operate through us. You know, again, it's easy to say, and I have, I have very little idea what it is, where it comes from, even how to do it. But I know that that exploration is for me, part of the joy of life. I love that. How do you find that more often? So I like to think of that as a download, like whenever you're just like so in tune and you're so present and whatever it is that's out there, if it's energy, if it's a creator, whatever it may be, but like, sometimes you just get like this download of like, oh my gosh, I got this great idea. I have this amazing moment. And I feel like I like to call it the quantum soup. Like the universe kind of gives this huge, like it makes this big soup pot. Right. And it like, is like all these amazing ideas and all these thoughts and all these things that can be created to life. And then it like dumps it and it's like yeah. downloads it on whoever. And cause sometimes you can be connected to other people and you both have like the same idea, but only one person actually acts out on the idea. And then yeah. that, then I believe like that person has then granted more downloads or more ideas because they're like, I'm here. I surrender. I listen, I hear. And like, they keep yeah. going and they keep going with it. What's your, what's your belief system with that? Like, or if you're open to that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do think, you know, I think about something. I like what you said, quantum soup. Yeah. Stew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I read something once about a thinker and a and a researcher named Rupert Sheldrake, where he talks about something he calls the implicit. There's the uh, there's the implicit and the explicit universe. Uh, and there's what has been, there's the unfolded and the enfolded. So there's what has been expressed or manifest, and there's what is waiting to be expressed or manifest. And from that, what we might call the quantum soup is this field of infinite possibility, right? It's like, as we know, as far as we can tell in this universe, there's only matter and energy and maybe only matter. I'm sorry, maybe only energy, yeah. right? And I, and I don't mean to get too woo-woo with this. I, I actually endeavor to be enough of a skeptic to, to, to not just say, oh, whatever. It's all anyway, I'm, I'm hearing the criticism that a, a listener might hear, although I, I doubt, I doubt any of our listeners would be that critical of these ideas. But but my thing is, first of all, recognizing that there is this, this ground, some people might call it the ground of being or this field of infinite possibilities that I think literally is true. That it's like, if you think about it, anything that could or will anything that could exist in the future or anything that will exist in the future any company, any relationship, any human being that's going to be born as a possibility exists right now. It all exists in this moment as a possibility, just waiting to be realized. Now, they won't all come to pass as, unless the theory of multiple universes is true. And again, who knows with that, but it's all there. And then what's remarkable to me is that we are actors within this. We are agents within this quantum soup. And so what is it that we're bringing with our intention and with our activity and with our resources to bring about the possibilities that either fulfill us or we are committed to or will serve others or will just be fun? right? It's like who so that's one thing is just being more intentional about what are those instead of living life on autopilot, or pursuing what we were, I don't want to say programmed to do, but what was expected of us, you know, or what our peer group is doing, and starting to just ask questions. And I think we're asking these as a society, you know, is this method of earning a living? Is this economic system? Is this political process? Is this, you know, again, this way of accumulating and consuming? As, as basically the measure of what it means to live a good life. Like we're questioning these things and we're figuring out what are the possibilities that we really want. Because again, I think this is common as people or as societies, we get clear about what we want after we got clear what we didn't want. Right. 
right? the pain, so, like how you described earlier, like the, the way that we actually move through something is the pain gets so unbearable. We actually finally make the decision to step out of it. And I think that's the same thing with that. Yep. I think so. That's powerful. So you've learned so many things. Like, I mean, you've gone on so many experiences and you've been able just to have so much information at your fingertips. What is something that you recently have learned that has just changed your way of thinking? So maybe in the past, you thought this process was so true for you. And now you've unlearned that theory and relearned a new theory, if you will. Sure. One of those is that there's two and they feel related to me. One is that desire, the fulfillment of your desire will never make you happy. Mm. I believe I could be wrong. Someone listening to this might be the exception, but I don't think so. And I think desire is a beautiful thing. I think wanting something, being hungry, having a a yearning, you know, like all of this. And in every moment as a human being, we want something. If you pay very close attention to your moment to moment experience in every second, you want something that you're conscious. I think there are times when you're unconscious, when you're asleep or when you're whatever zoned out or distracted that maybe you don't want something, but every conscious moment, and I do think unconscious moments, we want something, but do we know what it is? Does it serve us? Is it an unhealthy desire like smoking or, you know, potentially a healthy desire, but no matter what it is, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, none of the the fulfillment of any of those will bring a lasting satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think as a society, we haven't grasp, like we haven't really learned. And I don't know that we ever will, right? I, I don't know that we need to. But I think as individuals in pursuit of living a life that we enjoy and living a life that we find meaningful, I think it's important that we understand that. And it's a paradox. I think learning to hold paradox without seizing, without polarizing oneself, without tearing oneself apart internally, right? And I know I'm speaking abstractly here, But it's saying, look, it's beautiful to have a desire and to work towards this fulfillment, but at the same time, realizing that that's not the key to lasting satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So what is the key to lasting satisfaction? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as far as I can tell, it is recognizing that this world we live in, and again, I, I could be wrong, God hasn't told me this, I don't, you know, I haven't reached enlightenment, but that there is by necessity duality in everything. There is, you know, expansion and contraction. There's hot and cold and up and down and left and right and this kind of thing. And there's here and there. But at the same time, and here and there is maybe the best example of this. We can say in our language that there's here and there's there. But if we really look closely at our experience, there's only here. Now, that doesn't seem true because I can say, no, 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 Beijing is over there. It is there. But in your experience, when you experience Beijing, it's only ever here. Right. So what is the answer to that? What is the answer? Well, if there is an answer, it's that that polarity, that duality that we so often experience in some real way is an illusion. Right. And it's recognizing that what we currently thought of is this and that and me and you and right and wrong is just a way of expressing an experience that is not actually grounded in reality. Okay. I like that. I like where you're going with that. So I do think there is a fundamental unity to existence that our human apparatus, our body, our, our, the mind doesn't apprehend. It doesn't perceive. Sure. There is a unity to it. But by the time it gets filtered through our physical senses and then our cognitive processes, our unconscious biases right. and all this. So it's somehow... And when we're doing that, we're filtering it based on our current experience and what our current 
thought process is in that moment, right? Like Albert Einstein says that you can't change your mindset with the mindset you created it in. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, but it's kind of like yeah. that, right? Is that how yeah. you're saying it? Is like, yeah. because what you may have thought the experience to be when you're actually experiencing it, it's not going to be that exact same thing because it's going to be filtered by how you're filtering. Is that, is that how I'm yeah. understanding it, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 And I think that we are waking up to this as well. I don't think I, I think this is a big part of why psychedelics is making a huge, uh, you know, is becoming a larger topic of scientific exploration and popular interest. I think, you know, plant medicine and indigenous ceremonies and things like this, that things that probably do actually help us now, whether they're safe and healthy is another matter. So anybody listening, if you explore this, please do so with extreme caution, but that I think that we're looking for this because it, again, in some fundamental way, we recognize the way we're living isn't working mm -hmm. between the loneliness, the, the diseases, the obesity, the cancer, the addiction, the divorce, the depression, the anxiety, like all these things they are not working individually and collectively. So we're looking for another way of living. But I think if you look at it, what happens in this duality, the sense of duality that we often live within is there's a sense of separation. And if you look at whenever you suffer in your life, any area of your life where you're suffering, almost certainly, and maybe certainly, it's because you, are, you have somehow created for yourself a sense of separation. Mm -hmm. And if you create for yourself this sense of not being non-separate, of, of being connected, yeah. that suffering will disappear. I like that. Well, because you're connecting to the suffering so you can no longer suffer, so you actually face it. It's almost like you're taking the accountability of it, but in a different way. Like, I don't know, I feel like you get it, you're facing it head on. Um, even like with psychedelics and stuff, I, I had a client who did ketamine treatment for six weeks and it was powerful for him. It helped him, it helped him, it helped him break through out of what he was actually depressed about and what was really going on there. And it helped him see like that. He also had the power to change it. He was the one creating these thoughts and be, and living in this thoughts. He also had the power to create new thoughts and change that environment. But he had to see like, oh, this is possible within me by having that this a different experience of seeing himself. And when he was able to do that, that helped him to set an intention every time of like, I'm choosing to let go of this belief system or this programming, however you want to say it, or this, this thought process that I currently have. The way I make decisions today is based in this. And that's not, it's not serving me because it's, keep, it's keeping me here. So I want to change how I make my decisions and how and the emotions I attach to that, the feelings I attach to that. And I want to find happiness with that now and recognizing that. And so I think part of that is like the recognition through that. And then you're able to funnel it and change how you make decisions, I guess. And like through that, because you're experiencing yourself from a different view. So you can face yourself actually and take the accountability be like, it's, it's on me. Like I get to choose this. Just like you said earlier, like people don't need help. They just need to find it within themselves. Like whatever you want, you can have. It's just, it's dependent on if you're willing to see it and face it and claim it. Yeah, that's right. And shift your, in many cases, shift your view of it. Because what people perceive as a problem is very often the way they're perceiving it, the meaning they're giving to it, right? Like people will talk about my marriage is in trouble or my marriage, there's a problem in my marriage. Well, how true is that? <laughs> you know, but this, this question, you might recall, we got on this thread because we talked about what are some of the things you've learned that I forget yeah, exactly sorry, how you worded it, but, rabbit hole. but it made, made an impact. And one of them was this idea that the fulfillment of your desire, like fulfilling your desire will never bring lasting satisfaction. And then you asked what did, and then we got on this conversation about duality and unity. So that was one, but I want to touch on the other as well. 
And again, I hope this serves a listener. I know it's served me, but I don't know that I was ready to hear this even a few years ago is the other thing in recent years that that has really made a huge difference in my life is this idea that knowledge as some Eastern teachers might say, even knowledge is a form of ignorance. And it's like, that's a, that's kind of a strange thing to say. Like, what do you mean by that? And as far as I can tell, this is true. There's a teacher that I really respect and admire named Warner Earhart. And the way I think he expresses his comment is he'll say, the truth believed is a lie. Mm. Be like, what? What does that mean? But other people will say things like, the map is not the territory. Or the menu is not the meal, right? Or the finger pointing at the moon. If you take the Buddhist you know, think that it's like there's a, there's a message, there's a message, and maybe that's the moon, or there's a meal, but it's not what's represented on the menu. There's an experience. In other words, there's an experience to life, but then there's descriptions of experience, which are words and which are thoughts. Mm-hmm. And when we can get beyond the knowledge, the thought, the concept, the word, the label, the language to the experience. Because all that knowledge, it's just, it's almost like something that was frozen in time that's attempting to describe an experience or a reality. But because of its nature, being a word or being an idea or being a concept, it can never capture the experience. So I spent years, I still do, I love to learn. It's one of my favorite things to do. Just learning absolutely as much as I could about pretty much everything you know, but particularly spirituality, personal growth, relationships, communication. And what I have come to learn in Sadhguru actually is a teacher that's really helped me with this is to say, look, if you want to enhance the quality of your life, not just what you own, and how well you're respected, or how many people, you know, even appreciate you, which is nice, but you want to enhance your moment to moment experience of life bring more of yourself to life, bring a deeper presence, bring a deeper attention, bring an awareness, cultivate an awareness. And that again, it goes beyond anything we could learn. There's nothing I could learn. This is kind of a tricky, tricky hill to climb, but to say, there's nothing I could learn to help me do that, except to do that. Yeah. Right. Like Gandhi said, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way, mm. right? And it's in this same thing. Like I can read a bunch of books about being mindful. I can read, and I love this too. Werner says this too. Like you can learn, you can't learn how to swim from a book. You learn to swim from swimming. So true. Right? And it's this same thing that all knowledge. So that first one about fulfilling our desire will never bring us lasting happiness. But the other is what I would attempt to succinctly say is knowledge there's no amount of knowledge you could ever acquire that will also, uh, I would say this, knowledge is, its, knowledge is a form of ignorance. Even knowledge is a form of ignorance. And when I learned Yogananda, he taught me, Yogananda said, you will learn more. You stand to learn more from your own intuition than you could ever learn from a lifetime of books and classrooms. I agree. I hear my six-year-old knocking on my door. Will you give me a moment? Yeah, totally. Go for it.
I'll be up in a bit. Okay, I'm back. So do you mind if I just continue on that thought for a yeah, moment? Yeah, please, go for it. So this thing about if knowledge is a form of ignorance and we stand to learn more from our own intuition than we could from a lifetime of books and classrooms, and you're saying this to someone who consumes podcasts and TED Talks and reads a book a week and goes to seminars, at least pre-COVID, from the top teachers and coaches and trainers around the world, it was almost as though I had to do that to learn that all that stuff was just another form of accumulation. And it was just like possessions will never fulfill you. Knowledge will never fulfill you. Knowledge will never bring you satisfaction. You could never learn enough, right? But there's what you're always left with and what's always possible in every moment is, sim is the simple experience of being alive, of being present, of participating in the flow that life is. So that is one of those things. It's like, wow, you can say that to somebody, but then to live that is a lived experience, a lived awareness of that. I love and, you know, I forget. I forget. I get distracted. I, I, I want to eject. I want to tune out. I want to escape. I want to numb myself, you know, sometimes. We all, I think we all do. Maybe enlightened people are always just radiating pure, you know, <laughs> purity. Yeah, I'm not sure. So those are, those are two things. And then the other thing, I won't go too long on this, but I will say the other lessons that have totally changed my life, I'm not exaggerating when I say totally changed my life, two other things. One is a model of integrity mm -hmm. that I also learned from Warner Earhart, totally shifted my sense of why my life wasn't working. And then the other thing is what I learned from Tony Robbins about emotion. Yeah you know, about how, what creates emotion and how we create our experience. And for a long time, my level of happiness was dependent on other people or on other circumstances or events. And I didn't get that it was me creating my experience. And to do that was totally groundbreaking. And then what I'm learning now, actually, I'm learning, I'm studying um, BJ Fogg's work in Tiny Habits of Behavior Design. Oh, okay. I think it's absolutely amazing what he talks about with, with motivation and ability and prompt. It's, it's remarkable. And I, I don't yet put it in the category of those other four lessons, Okay. but it's, it's, it helped, it's helping me understand some things that were mysteries to me about my own behavior and about other people. I love that. It was pretty remarkable. There's one thing I want to go back and touch on for a little bit. You just talked about like really just our, our own intuition is uh -huh the best skill truly to master. And that's like kind of what I'm hearing from you is that's where we can find more of our own happiness is being able to trust ourselves and finding that intuition. How have you learned to practice to grow your intuition muscle and just to trust yourself and be able to actually hear yourself so you know what it is that is your truth for that? Yeah. Well, there's two things that come right to mind. The first is, is to practice meditation every day where when I started close to 10 years ago, um, I didn't really know how to do it. Uh, I didn't know if it was working, you know, quote, unquote, um, to do it even for five or 10 minutes felt excruciating. And now I do it every morning and every night, 21 minutes of time. And I do not miss it doesn't matter what time zone I'm in. It doesn't matter if I'm sick. It doesn't matter if I feel like it like it is absolutely non negotiable for me. And part of it is because why 21 minutes, can I ask why it's that specific number? It's you know, I don't time myself. So it could be 19 sometimes and 23 other times. But it's part of the method that I've been following for the last three years I haven't missed a day of this process in three years it is one that I learned from Sadhguru. Okay. And it's actually a five part Kriya process. And 
it just, he said, you know, when you get this down, it will be 21 minutes. Like, that's really interesting. (laughs) So, so that's one. And that ability to achieve physical stillness has, has been a huge thing to just observe and allow, you know, the thoughts or the impulses to settle. I like to think of it like snowflakes in a snow globe, that they just kind of come down. And what I realized is for this moment, because I've organized my life around to some degree, at least my morning and evening routine around meditation, that I don't worry about it. It could be the most important thing. And it's like, and the other systems I've implemented of capturing commitments and you know, other desires that I don't have to go, I don't have to pull myself out of meditation and go, I've got to write that down or something. So that's one. And it's allowed me to list what I would say, listen past. And again, I don't mean to hold myself up like somebody who's figured everything out, but where there was a lot of what I would say, mental static before and a lot of competing impulses and desires that a lot of that has just settled like, you know, clear water in a stream as I've cultivated this this meditation practice, and it's allowed me to hear what's true for me more often. Yeah. Right. So that's one. And then the other is, and this is one that's both a, a challenge, but a joy is more often and more fully um, like following my initial impulse and even checking in with myself. I'll give you an example. So this morning, uh, I had a podcast interview and I normally like to go out and get some, if it's sunny, at least get some sunshine and some physical activity before my interview. And I, and I was thinking of everything that I was going to do. I was going to meditate. I was going to do that exercise. I still had a bit of prep. And so then I checked in and I knew the interview started at nine. So I said, well, when shall I set my alarm? And it wasn't a logical thing. Well, I think, you know, the two miles is going to take me 22 minutes and the meditation is 21. Like it wasn't that. Yeah. And granted, it's been a routine. So part of intuition is cultivated from habit when we're familiar with things. But then I was able to just check in with myself and I said, 645. And it was boom, there was no debate. There was no analysis. It was just that's when, right? So part of it is checking in with yourself, even asking the question, you know, whatever it is, what should I eat? Should I say this thing? What should I wear? Like we have an opportunity in all of these to listen to and honor our intuition as simple as those things might be. But here's the thing. It's in matters large and small. that It's the same process. And when we practice it in seemingly insignificant things, I think it becomes easier to listen to, to follow, to trust, whatever. That was one. And the other part of it is honoring what, I don't know how to say this, what feels right. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know if you do this. And I, I, I know this, that women's clothing often, there's a greater variety of textures and styles and things. But even for me, when I get dressed in the morning, I'll think, I'll like go pick a shirt out and I'll think, I don't want to, I don't want that texture against my skin. You know, or I don't think I want to wear my ring today, or I don't want to wear. And it's like, why? Well, I don't need to know why. It's just, I don't, I either want something or I don't want something. And if I honor that, like, and this is in things like, should I stop eating? Or am I still hungry, right? To what should I wear to do? I really want to watch that thing on Netflix when whatever. And when we listen and we honor our preferences and there's a way in which it can sound really selfish, but there's another way. And it's like, what if that's your higher self seeking expression? Yes. That's what I like to think of it. 
And I think the more and more you grow that, like that just becomes the habit. Like you said, we are just like creatures of habit. And so, and that to me is how you grow into your own self-discipline, like your own self-worth and your own self-esteem is like trusting yourself enough to know that I have the answers within me and I can be intuitive enough to just check in and ask myself, is this true for me or not? And that helps you remove all that self-doubt and like this, am I sure of who I am? Do I even know what I'm about? By finding your own truth and then living in that truth and practicing that through intuitive and that can be it through intuitive eating. You can practice it that way through intuitive decisions, like yep. well, the, like muscle tests. Like, do I lean into this or do I step backwards from this? Like, do I like this or do I not like this? Like, and it's just helping you recognize that. And that's something that like that's people are just looking for clarity. They're looking for answers that they seek, but they don't realize they already have it all within. If you could just learn how to grow that intuition and like that muscle that creates, like, you know, it's all here, like just yeah. check in with you and you'll find what you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I love that. I think it's powerful with that. Um, and you talk a lot about just like language and how the syntax of language and how, how we give meaning to words and how that's helped you kind of give meaning to your life. And you have the five facets of good living. Would you mind kind of touching on how you came up with those five things and like the words yeah. that you use to describe that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been, you're right, the thing about language. I mean, <clears throat> I often think that language is, language is magic and that we can create things with our speaking that literally didn't exist before. Right. But we often don't appreciate that there is a form of magic or there is the power of creation and language and simple examples that are so simple. They're often overlooked are things like the fact that, you know, when one gets married, it's speaking that creates the marriage, right? There's a ceremony and there's an oath and vows and this kind of thing. And then boom, that creates a marriage. And there's, as we know, there's huge implications for that of property and taxes and all this, or becoming a college graduate or incorporating a company, like all these things happen in language, either spoken or written. So there's, there's incredible power in in declarations and, and things. The thing about the five dimensions of life is, you know, anybody who's either done an introductory coaching session or who studied coaching for any time has certainly come across something that's often called the wheel of life. It's like, you know, some version of this is used in almost every coaching program. And it's, you know, the metaphor is often given that, you know, if your life is out of balance, you can think of the wheel of life, like the wheels that your life glides through (laughs) life on. And if any of these are out of balance, and they'll often be things like your family and your job or your career and you know, your hobbies and all this. And then people will say, well, what's your level of satisfaction on a scale of zero to 10? And then it's, it's kind of like a diagnostic where it's easy to identify where is your life maybe out of balance? Where are you dissatisfied? Where's your opportunity for growth or achievement? And I've seen the u- usefulness of a wheel of life, you know, when I started my coaching journey. And yet I wanted to create something that was perhaps even simpler and more powerful. Um, so this model that I've come up with is, is these five facets. What I look at is, look, is there something that I could step someone through that would help them think about every, literally every area of their life simply and then identify in the same way a will of life does, where are there opportunities for growth or improvement? And part of what's different from this model, from a wheel of life is a wheel of life. They're kind of like slices of a pie. None of them seem to have any priority over the other. It's just, you know, trying to 
encompass the different areas where by contrast, what the five facets of life is, they, it's almost like a target where there's a, they're rings, they're concentric circles. <clears throat> and what I put in the middle, I've endeavored to arrange this so that they are in order of priority for one's experience of life, which is why in the middle is spirituality. And this is asking, you know, and I know spirituality, I'm still figuring out what this term means. But if I just ask you or anyone, you know, if I said on a scale of zero to 10, how satisfied are you with your spirituality? Now, people, many people will say, well, what do you mean by that? But I would turn that around and I would say, well, even according to your own definition, however you understand spirituality today, how satisfied are you with your spirituality? And then leave it to them because again, it's their definition and it's their judgment. It's not up to me to judge them. So looking at, again, the sense of oneness, the sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves, because I know that if we don't have that, then we will not experience the richness that's available to us in life, which is why I start with spirituality. The second thing is then health. And this is both physical and emotional or mental. And again, it's only we can answer that. When on a scale of zero to 10, how satisfied are you with your health as it stands today? People can answer that. And the idea there being, of course, if you don't have your health, it, it pretty much doesn't matter what else is in your life. In fact, those other things could actually occur like burdens if your health is diminished or diminishing. So that's why health is next. And again, health is one of those things. It's easy to overlook because when you're young or you're healthy, we, you know, we often take for granted or we expect things will be the way they are forever. But by deliberately encouraging people to think about and prioritize health as number two, number three is then relationships. And we know enough from the positive psychology movement and other scientific research to know that there is, there is actually no greater predictor of people's happiness than their relationships. But again, spirituality and health are predicate, they're, they're foundations for satisfying relationships to, to take place. So the dimensions of friendship. I'm sorry, of, of relationships, your friendships, your family, you know, the other social uh, networks that you have. So asking people, how satisfied are you with your relationships? Then from there, going to what I'm currently calling activities, which is your work, your play, and your rest. Because in every moment, uh, we're basically doing one of those three things. So again, how satisfied are you with the activities of your life. And then the last one is money. Because money is, as we know, a virtually inescapable uh, aspect of existence on the planet today. Now we could join, you know, a commune or find some other creative way to live. But even then, I think this question of how satisfied are you when it comes to your money, both your income, and the assets you own and this kind of thing. But very deliberately, that's on the fifth rung, where I think what happens a lot of people create unhappiness for themselves by putting that first unknowingly, but they think that's what's going to bring um, lasting happiness. And it's not, at least I don't think it will. So by stepping through, and then what happens is, is people answer these questions, what's your level of satisfaction with these five areas on a scale of zero to 10, and then to answer two more questions about each of them, which is what uh, taking inventory of what's working, like what's working about this. So you you know, you start from a foundation of what's what's good in your life and what you have to be grateful for and what can you build on. But then how do you want it to be? If all of these dimensions were, if all these facets were ideal, what would they look like? And what I've seen as a coach is that very often our unhappiness comes from the ambiguity 
Mm. right? We have this vague sense of what we should have. And then all of a sudden, very often, what we'll do is by defining it. Well, if my if my relationships were, you know, my wife and I had an, enough alone time, and we were able to take a vacation a year and this and that, whatever we define it, then we go either a that's totally attainable, or B, I'm already doing that. Yeah, then we can have the appreciation that comes from that. So at any rate, this idea of the five facets of good living is that while I don't have a single prescription, I don't think there's a one size fits all that I can tell people what the answer should be for them in those five facets. What I feel confident about is that if they take inventory of those, and that they define what their ideal future looks like, then they can live into it. And that as far as I can tell, and I certainly welcome, you know, people either contributing to or challenging this, that there's nothing that doesn't fit into those five facets when it comes to life. So true. I agree with that. Well, and it's just taking that, that personal inventory is helping you really help you understand like what you actually even want in those categories, what is working for you, what's not working for you. It's almost yep. kind of like, like a business review, like, well, what has worked for you? What isn't working for you? Where do you want it to go? And then let's look at the, the processes that you have. And it's just helping people learn how to ask those questions to themselves and decide like what that looks like for them. Cause then, then they can go towards that direction or leave that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and by the way, one key on this is that it is self-determined, right? Right. Your parents could give you this. Your best friend could give you this. It might even be like great answers, but it, there's something really powerful in choosing it for ourselves. For sure. Right. Because we all, we're only ever going to actually do what we're actually choosing to do. Like that's what it comes down to. So if we can write it down for ourselves and choose it, that's also part of you trusting your intuition enough to know that what is true for you. And then you follow through with it, I think. And that's yeah. part of becoming like, that's part of how like awakening who you are. Yeah. I think that's powerful. You also talked about this, like a meditation for quite a bit, how that's really helped you change your life and how powerful that's been for you. And I've been able to take part in practices of you teaching meditation and it's been powerful for me. You've helped me just to, be still. And you've also been able to create this great connection of people. Well, before COVID we could come together and just like, it's such like a powerful, like healing, beautiful, just space that you're able to create and cultivate. Um, what guided you to start to teach that? And then how could any of the listeners that are listening, be able to learn meditation with you or practice meditation with you? Yeah. Well, when I began my training as a coach with Jack Canfield uh, years ago. He had just written a book called The Success Principles. And here was someone who'd been in this field of personal growth and development for 40 years, you know, and he had written, it was like a 600 page book on all the best things he'd learned about, you know, living a productive, happy life. And he shared that he, when he would be interviewed, people would just want a soundbite. They'd say, Jack, you know, you've written this book. It's like five, 600 pages. It's 64 chapters. Just tell us what's the one thing that if we implement, it will change the quality of our life immediately. And he said, oh, that's easy. It's meditation. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I, I kind of filed that away. At that time, I wasn't meditating regularly. Then, you know, things like um, Tim Ferriss, that he, he interviews these top performers in a variety of fields. And what he says is the most the most common practice that these, these high performers have is meditation. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Now, that's not a reason to meditate just because other successful people or famous or well-respected people do, but it's, it's interesting to take note of that here's people 
you know, with very diverse work and backgrounds performing at a very high level that have this thing in common. And they're busy, by the way, you know. Um, and then what ended up happening was I, as I mentioned, you know, a little earlier that I, I divorced. And that was a point in my life where I experienced a lot of pain. Uh, see, you can even hear the passive construction that I experienced a lot of pain. I created a lot of pain for myself and for other people. Um, and that was a time when my dad was sick and, and dying. Uh, I had a son who was born prematurely. He was born at 2.2 pounds, had severe brain bleeds, spent the first nine months of his life in, a, in the neonatal intensive care unit, uh, 20 brain surgeries, and I was in a job I didn't love. And I don't think I realized at the time, but I was in a faith crisis. So like all these things that just converged. And it was like, again, it was like, this is not working. My life is not working. Life sucks. And really, it was a point where I said, I'm either going to check out or I'm going to find a way to live that doesn't suck. And at the time, um, this was back when I would sit in the garage and I would smoke a lot. It was a rocking chair and I would read. And one, one day I was reading an article that was in Rolling Stone magazine. This was when Steve Jobs had passed. And I read this, this thing, you know, it was this retrospective of his life. And it talked about a book that he read when he was a teenager. It inspired him to go to India he read it every year of his life. It was the only book downloaded, downloaded on his iPad when he died. And he arranged to have the book given to everyone who attended his funeral. And it was like, what is in that book? Like, what is the book? Yeah, right. <laughs> what is in the book? Right. Right. So I look it up and it's this book called Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And I read it and it inspired me to start meditating. And I've continued since I did. And I incidentally have signed up for Yogananda. He's passed away, you know, like 70 years ago, but his guru instructed him to come to the United States to bring this message of meditation, yoga, and peace, you know, back in like the twenties and thirties, which was pretty amazing. And I signed up for his three-year mail program. So they actually do a course through the mail and it totally changed my life. And I don't, I know, again, there's no one path for every single person. There's no one course or teacher, but for me, it was the right message at the right time. And a few years went by, I've been meditating for a while and I was speaking to a group of Rotarians. So the Salt Lake chapter of the Rotary Club, and I shared a bit about my life journey and there was some Q and A at the end and people had, had zeroed in on some of my uh, Eastern teaching where I was an Asian studies major. I've traveled throughout Asia. And somewhere near the end of that, I said, I heard myself say, and I'll be hosting a meditation group if anyone here would like to attend. <laughs> and I wasn't previously. Well, 15 people came up after that and gave me their card and said, I'm, I'm interested. I want to come. And then it was on. And that was about four years ago. And I have my, it was either three or four years ago, but I have done one every single month since. I didn't know that's how you started that. That's cool. Yeah. It was one of those, again, like following intuition or spontaneity or whatever. Ah. And it's just been a great way both to stay in relationship with people, make new friends, help them make friends with each other, to con continue to learn and grow. As we know, we never learn more than when we teach. Mm -hmm. right to continue to cultivate mindfulness there's something i think really special about meditating in community totally. you know 
it is so, a different energy when you're with other people. Like, yeah, it's so different. Yeah, it's it's really special. So, you know, as you said, we used to do this in person before the pandemic, and now I'm doing it online. And if anyone listening is interested to join, you can sign up at goodliving.com. There's a little link there uh, under events and you can find the mindfulness morning registration. You just register through Eventbrite and you'll get a Zoom link and that's it. So we do it once a month. I love it. And you all have to go check it out. You need to go experience it. It's, it will change your life. It's just, it's powerful. So go do that. And then they can also take your five facets of good living quiz on there as well, right? Yep. And if they yep. want to explore coaching with you or working with you, that's all available on your website. Yeah, that's right. I, I actually stopped working one-on-one with people last year uh, to focus more on my podcasting and my writing and my group coaching program. So I do have a nine-month online group coaching program program that I call the School for Good Living's Transformational Coaching Program is really remarkable where people work through this content uh, basically at their own pace, you know, staying along with this group they're a part of. And then every week we have a, a video call. And it's just an amazing opportunity to not only learn more, because again, I don't think we need more, we don't need more knowledge. But then we are able to integrate it over a period of time and to continue to grow or maybe to change in our life to make some new friends, to learn from other people. So that's people can learn more about that at goodliving.com as well. And I'm a total advocate of that. I've gone through this course. It's amazing. I highly recommend it. And the calls are just great. And it's great just to check in. And all the work, like you've put so much of your life's work into the work with it. And just like all the exercises, the everything that's there for you, you learn so much about you. And even if you're going on whatever pace you're going on, just all the questions that it helps you ask yourself is it's incredible. So thanks yeah. for putting all that work together. You're awesome. It's my pleasure. I've been privileged to learn from a lot of really smart and experienced people and it's a privilege to be able to to share it it's awesome well i've learned so much about you today and how brilliant you truly are and how amazing it is and i just love that is there anything else that you have on your heart that you want to share with those listening the only thing that that i would add or end with here is is just the encouragement for anyone who's listening to this um, I would just say that uh, you know i I lived for a lot of years in a pretty dark place and uh I didn't think life had meaning. If it did, I didn't know how to find it. And as I said, I experienced a lot of suffering. (laughs) I created a lot of suffering. And I know that many people find themselves in that place from time to time, but some people pretty much live there. And it's amazing the face they're able to put on. You know, the responsibilities they're able to bear, the contributions they're able to make, even though they live with really disempowering emotions or a lot of doubts and and things like that. And uh, fortunately, I think it's a pretty small percentage of people. It's it's not, it's not insignificant, but it's not everyone. So at any rate, I'm talking to the people who might recognize exactly what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that's me. And uh, the thing that I would say is that your life matters more than you know. 
and that uh, you are more powerful than you know. And you have a gift. And I hope that you find a way to share that gift that doesn't feel like a burden. It doesn't feel like an obligation, but it feels like an opportunity. And for what it's worth, just saying to that person listening that, um, you know, you matter and uh, you're not alone. And I'm grateful that you uh, found this and that you listened this long. And wherever your journey takes you, uh, I hope you have the experience that it's perfect somehow exactly as it is. That was so beautiful. I feel all of that. Thank you for sharing that. And for whoever that needed to hear that, like feel that, hear that, and know that that is so true for you, that you are so worthy and you're so enough in this moment and you were created for a purpose and just be in that moment, be in that purpose and connect. I love that. Yeah. You are truly so brilliant. And I just look up to you so much. You're such a light. You help bless my life. You teach me so much. You nourish my soul. You nourish all those around it. And you help cultivate like just the culture for people to know who they are and to feel that safe, that, that emotional safety that you were talking about earlier. Just like you always create that. You always have that container around it. And you always help ground me and bring me back to center and like help me check in with me. So thank you for being that light in my life and helping teach me and helping me learn how to get curious with me and grow my own intuition. And I just, I really appreciate you being on today. And I'm so thankful for that. And I love that my listeners get to hear from you. Like you've taught me so much and I'm so excited. They just get to hear from you and learn all that. And like all the value that you bring, this is so powerful and so epic. So thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I just love you. So you're amazing. Well, thank you, Steph. I love you too. And I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity and I'm really grateful for our friendship. Same. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you guys for listening. I'll make sure that brilliant information is all linked up for you guys. So you guys can go in, go join some meditation, go take the five facets for good living, or maybe just reach out to him and follow him along on his social media pages as well. So you can stay tuned for things that are happening with that. Thanks again so much. Thanks for listening. Leave us a review. Share this with a friend if it spoke to you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Just Talking Today. I hope you got some value out of it. I hope you learned something. I hope you laughed. I hope you cried maybe a little bit if it's one of those kind of episodes. I just want to thank you so much for all your love and support and you just tuning in. It really means the world to me. If you would do me an extra solid and whatever platform you're using right now to listen to it, if you just go ahead and subscribe so that way you can always know when a new episode drops for you so you can be in the know. And also if you would just go ahead and leave me a little review, mark that star, whether it be the first star or the fifth star, whatever you're fill on that day and leave me a little review. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much again for all your love and support. Sending you all the love and light your way. Thanks again for tuning in to Just Talking. Have the best day.